You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. PackersTalk.com. Uh, just because I love JJ, and he's like the anti-media media guy. You know, he's, he's so fun on TV. And, and I know it pisses off, you know, the, the, the pros, the Schefters or Rappaports, who are great at what they do. Wow. Um, you know, I know it probably doesn't make them feel great. You're listening to No Huddle Radio on the Packers Talk Radio Network, your home for in-depth and thoughtful Packers analysis. I'm joined by my good friend, Gil Martin. He's a writer for the Packers Post and Cheesehead TV, and I'm your host, J.J. Leahy. We're here to talk Packers because you're all here for one thing, and that's a love for Green Bay football. Or, you know, you used to have a love for Green Bay football, and you will again soon, but for right now, this is the episode we did not want to do. Um... Welcome to the autopsy. There's no other way to put it. We are going to examine why the Packers lost the game. Uh, because we have to. It's not super fun, but we're going to do it. Uh, hopefully, you know, as you join us on this uh, journey, there's going to be some healing, some catharsis, and then we can move on and, and put this game behind us. Um, you know, I did a ranking uh, on Twitter of what I thought were the most painful playoff losses uh, for the Packers in the Rodgers era. And I ended up not ranking this one super high. Um, It was a little bit tempting, too, just because of, you know, it's so recent and so it's real fresh. I ended up actually putting it down in eighth place out of ten. Um. I was thinking about some of the uh, uh, losses that were more painful to me, like 2014 uh, against the Seahawks ranks number one. That one was a killer. I think that would rank number one for probably most people. I actually put 2020 in second place. I just, you know, last year I really believed in destiny and I just thought that was our year. We were going to the Super Bowl. I firmly believed last year that if Bakhtiari had not torn his ACL, we were going to win the Super Bowl. I think the Chiefs were not a good team last year. And, Agreed. And, and and we matched up well with them, I thought. And instead, you know, we had to watch Billy Turner play left tackle and, and Rick Wagner at right tackle. And thankfully, you know, we didn't have to watch that again this year. <laughs> oh, wait, we did. What is not, our, the, our, not in the NFC championship game, but yes, we did. What is our working theory as to why in the world Billy Turner, who had not played football in over a month and had not practiced at left tackle leading up to that game, had not practiced at all a left tackle, was suddenly moved to left tackle instead of putting Yash out there who had gotten us that far. I mean... I, I really, at this point, and I want to hear your, your thoughts on this, Gil. At this point, I can only assume that there is a Yash Nyman injury that we just have not heard about because it just it's not rational to put out the starting tackle lineup that they did. Uh, this is my theory, and I, I don't have hard evidence to back this up, but this is what I'm going with. We heard many times during the last half of the season, 
when there was all kinds of speculation about is Bakhtiari coming back? When is he coming back? How, when will he first play? Is he practicing? Why is he not practicing? All of that stuff. The goal, as repeated over and over again by LaFleur, was we want to put the best five offensive linemen on the field. And once Bakhtiari was not available, for whatever reason, and I don't agree with the reasoning, but I believe that Matt LaFleur felt that Turner and Kelly were a better duo than Nyman and Turner at tackle. And that's why the move was made the way it was made. It wasn't the only issue with the offensive line. They moved uh, Lucas Patrick to right guard, which was a bit of an issue because the um, the defensive tackles that the Niners have are the kind that Lucas has historically kind of struggled with. Uh, and, and, and there was at least uh, one play where uh, Lucas got completely beat and Rogers took a hit. I, I don't think it was a sack. I think it was just a hit, but it, it definitely disrupted the play. And we had uh, uh, Josh Myers in at center. He had a pretty terrible day as well, uh, which is just not that surprising. He's a rookie. He's been gone since what, like week six. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we, we had a conversation on this show last week about what our projected offensive line would be. And, and we talked about the possibility of Myers being rusty um and and just acknowledge that uh he probably was still one of the best options to put out there but that it did also make sense to just roll with the offensive line they got you there have yash at left tackle have uh lucas patrick at center and royce newman at right tackle i'm not a right guard i'm not sure that would have gone um you know a ton better but you and i asked the question could we see them putting Billy Turner at left tackle and Dennis Kelly at right tackle? And we both said it was essentially ludicrous and not even worth really discussing because we thought it was a terrible idea and it, it did not work out well. Now PFF did grade Billy Turner and Dennis Kelly quite well. They thought that those guys played really well. They also thought Aaron Rodgers played decently well. I disagree with all three of those points. I don't think that Rodgers was solely responsible for the loss, but he did not have a good day. Uh, I, I thought one of the biggest issues with the offense all day was not only was Rogers doing his old stare down Devante thing, even when other guys are wide open, but he also was not hitting Devante uh, accurately or with good timing. There were a lot of times when those two guys were looking at each other after a completion and just shaking their heads because they knew that they had just blown a big opportunity for yards after the catch, except that the ball got there late. And so Devontae got tackled as soon as he caught the ball. It happened all day, all day long. Their timing was not up to its usual, uh, its usual standard throughout the game. And look, I would grade, well, we'll get into our grades, but I, I don't think Rogers had a good game. I think he has to share not the majority of the blame, but a good amount of the blame for the team's poor performance offensively on uh, Saturday night. 
And of course, obviously there's special teams. I do not blame Moe Drayton because as I've been saying for months, at this point, it's not Drayton's fault. It's LaFleur's fault for not firing Drayton. You, we have known all season long that Drayton was not up to the task. And in week eight, uh, on this show, we said the special teams production and issues is no longer on Drayton because he he should not be here anymore. It's on Matt LaFleur for not firing him. Week eight was a long time ago you could very easily have replaced Drayton with somebody else uh cleaned up special teams a long time ago we finally quit talking about it on this podcast it's been a long time since we've talked about special teams on this show because you all knew what the issues were and you didn't want to hear us ranting about it every episode so you know and and everybody on social media has been saying for months man, you really hope the special teams isn't going to cost them a game in the playoffs. You know that it's going to happen. It's already cost them at least one regular season game this year and one last year. Uh, it just feels like a ticking time bomb waiting to go off. Everybody said that. Everybody did. Yeah. If I had a dollar for every time I wrote that in an article since, let's say, week three or four of this season, I probably wouldn't need to write for a little while. But, yeah. As, as we were reviewing – uh, the season and this game in particular, it was very striking that there was one game from the regular season that stood out as being the most similar to this game. And that was the Seahawks game. Uh, that was uh, Rogers second worst game of the year. Uh, this 49ers game actually was not his worst game of the year. That was obviously the Saints game, but the Seahawks game was his worst game of the year. And if you look across the board, a lot of the other players uh, played very similarly to how uh, they did against the Seahawks. You remember the defense was just locked down. Seahawks couldn't get anything going, ended up getting shut out. The biggest difference in that game was that special teams didn't cough up 10 points um during that game and that meant that the anemic non-functioning Packers offense was able to uh score more than zero points <laughs> which is what the the defense was requiring them to do yeah no I mean the 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 defense didn't give up any points in the Seattle game they only gave up six points the defense in the San Francisco game and yet it wasn't enough to earn the victory. And that tells you a, that the offense wasn't playing up to its usual standard and B how bad the special teams actually were. Okay. Uh, we're going to go through and give letter grades for each of the position groups and talk about how, how they played. And as we are wrapping up our autopsy of this game, uh, we want to do a little bit of podcasting planning. Uh, we're going to talk about what is coming down the pipes from us. And we want to give you the opportunity to weigh in and tell us what you want to hear from us during the off season. Um, but let's go ahead and get started. Uh, Gil, let's, let's start with the quarterback. Um, give me your letter grade for the quarterbacking. C plus. Immediately after the game, I put together my list of grades. And at that point, I gave 
Rogers an F grade. Uh, I've calmed down a bit. Uh, I'm updating my letter grade for him. I'm going to go with a D. I, I think there were just too many completely inexcusable misses. Uh, too many times where he clearly was not thinking very clearly and was in panic mode. And, you know, I, I, I think there's a lot of people talking about how they think that this game was like a sign that Rogers is not really in it and that he didn't really want a win. I think the reverse is true. I think he maybe wanted the win too much mm-hmm. and was in just panic mode. I, he didn't trust his tackles to protect him. That's something that has been consistent in a lot of the blowout games that we've seen the last few years. Uh, Niners twice in 2019, Chargers in 2019, uh, Buccaneers in the regular season in 2020, Saints game week one of this year. Um, and, and really, I think that the biggest thing that you notice um, is that this this game was like a, an example of what those games would have looked like had the defense not also cratered and given up 30 plus points. You know, this, this is what happens when your defense stays in it for the whole game and the offense never does get going, but there were just too many times, especially so at at the very end of the game, here's when we lost the game, the the Packers uh, have the ball. They are pretty deep in their own territory. Um, Rogers fires a ball to Cobb. It's nearly picked. Mm -hmm. He's just trying to force the ball to the guy that he trusts. Next play. He bombs it deep, deep to Devante in an obviously doomed before he ever threw it. Desperation move. Mm -hmm. And he had not one, but two guys wide open. Alan Lazard was in the middle of the field, well beyond the line to gain. Nobody on him because the DB that was covering Lazard was brought in on a late blitz that freaked Rogers out. He heaves it downfield to the only guy who's double covered. If he had if he had thrown it to Lazard and Lazard had caught it, then the very next play is not a blocked punt returned for a touchdown. Yeah, I mean, that was definitely a huge uh, mistake, but I think that mistake is sort of indicative of what we saw from Rodgers, not just in this game, but in a lot of the games you mentioned. Now you you said he didn't trust his receivers. He didn't trust his protection. And that's the, the protection at least is a reasonable way to, to view it because it wasn't holding up. He was sacked five times. They were in his face a lot, but what has to happen when you are getting, rushed consistently you have to adjust and instead of making the adjustment and I don't know if this is LaFleur or Rodgers or a combination of the two because both of them you know LaFleur calls the plays Rodgers can change them at the line of scrimmage when he sees the defense that they're in what what happened to the three-step drops that neutralize the pass rush what happens to the RPOs what happened to the we're going to scheme Alan Lazard or Randall Cobb or or Josiah DeGuara open on a very quick release pass that, okay, it'll get five yards, but we'll come up second and five and maybe then run and set up third and one. And then we have a lot of options. And that 
just the fact that we have those options slows down the pass rush a little bit. Yes, the the offensive line did not do a great job of protecting Rodgers, but instead of adjusting and going back to what got the Packers here offensively, which is all the things that I described, especially when Yash Nyman was starting for eight games during the regular season. He locked on to Devontae and Aaron Jones, didn't trust his receivers, and kept trying to force the ball deep. And that failure to adjust more than anything, I think, cost them the football game. Devontae and Aaron Jones had a combined 21 targets. Devontae had 11. Jones had 10. The next highest targeted receiver was Dominique Daphne at two. Two. Yeah. Mercedes Lewis, Alan Lazar, Josiah DeGuar, and Randall Cobb each had one target, and that was it for the entire team. Um, it was frustrating not to see uh, A.J. Dillon utilized in the passing game. That's been very effective in the past. Um, and it was also frustrating seeing all these times when other receivers would get open and then Rodgers never even looked their way. This was very reminiscent of 2019 Rodgers. Um, and uh, I'll go even my- further. I think it was reminiscent of 2018 Rodgers when he wasn't playing up to his own standard. Yeah. And, and there, there were there, you know, that opening drive, they looked really good and they were really utilizing the quick passing game. But, you know, many of those passes were going to Devante and it was working and it seemed like maybe the Mercedes Lewis fumble swung the momentum of the game and, and maybe freaked Rogers out a bit. I, I think this is clearly one of those times where it's happened way too often in the last four years not so much in the last two years, but in the last four years, you're right, 2018, 2019, you felt like Rodgers is a, at times, and this feels like a stupid thing to say, but at times, Rodgers is a hindrance to the Matt LaFleur offense mm-hmm. because the Matt LaFleur offense depends, <laughs> I mean, life force here, on timing and throwing to the open guy that we schemed open, you have to hit him. You can't hold on to the ball and wait for something to open up further downfield. And in 2020 and 2021, Rodgers was really good at that. Yep. And it has just been these couple of random games where he locks in on just the guys that he feels like he can trust. The problem is that more often than not, those are big games playoff games, games against top caliber opponents, because obviously that's when the pass rush is going to be fiercer. That's when the opposing team has more talent. The game is going to be on the line closer. The challenge is bigger. And that's when the reigning MVP and probably this year's MVP as well needs to be at his best. You need Aaron Rodgers to do Aaron Rodgers things. And he came up small again in a big spot. And that's what's disappointing. And I think, um, I think one issue 
is com- compared to some of the older Packers teams from you know years ago. I don't know. If there's anybody on the Packers roster or coaching staff that Rogers really looks up to. You know, you, uh, let, let me elaborate here. I, I think you look back at the Super Bowl team. And he had Woodson, mm-hmm. who clearly was a guy that Rodgers admired. This is a, an elder veteran at the top of his game, really commanding personality, who could get in Rodgers' face and tell him to play better. You know, And, and Rodgers is not a, a rah-rah type. He's not going to be getting in the face of Billy Turner and saying, I need you to do your job. I need you to protect me longer or we're going to lose this game. You know who does that? Tom Brady does. Mm -hmm. And there are other, I think, I think if you look at a lot of Super Bowl winning teams, you see veterans on that team that make you, that make the younger players afraid to lose the game because they don't want to face whoever in the locker room. Uh, what, you know, whether that's Woodson, whether that's Reggie White, uh, and not even just Packers teams, I, just other teams in general. Uh, you, you got these older players that you don't want to face them in the locker room after the loss, and they're going to be in your face on the sideline telling you to step up. And, and, and I think when that happens, a lot of the guys are able to find an extra gear in them and step up and play better. And I think that is a fair critique of Rogers to say, we know that he's not a rah-rah guy. That's not in his nature at all. He definitely is the type to kind of go sit by himself and, and try and figure out how to put the weight of the world on his shoulders and lift everybody else, everybody else to a win rather than challenging the guys around him to step up and carry their brothers to a win. I, I think that that is to the detriment of, of, you know, Rogers, uh, leadership at times. Uh, you ready to move on to running backs? Yeah, sure. Rogers? I, feel, I feel like we could easily spend the entire episode talking about just Rogers and special teams. We could, but we won't. <laughs> All right. What, what's your letter grade for the, uh, running backs? Uh, I gave him a solid B. And okay. part of that is based on Aaron Jones's receiving numbers for the game, including the 75-yard play that should have set up a field goal before the end of the half. I think, you know, that was the most dramatic offensive play of the game. He had nine catches. Uh, they really missed A.J. Dillon in the second half after he suffered the fractured rib injury. Um, you know, protecting that. 10-3 lead, that's when you want Dylan available more than any other time in the cold, run between the tackles, the defense is a little tired, and, you know, what What, what was it, about six minutes left, we had the 10-3 lead, and we had a chance to get the first down, we go three and out, punts blocked, and then all of a sudden, you know, it all falls apart after that, but uh, the running game was okay, it wasn't terrible. I don't think the run blocking was particularly good. I give the running backs a B, but a lot of the reason for the B is the receiving ability of Aaron Jones. Okay. So, all right. So you are giving them plus points for the receiving 
for Aaron Jones, yes. Okay, I, I actually uh, dinged Aaron Jones a little bit for the receiving. I, I thought that he could have been better. I thought that that long run was, to me, a bit of a negative. Uh, I, I, first of all, the the throw to Jones was a little off, and he was not able to just catch it in stride and keep going. And and that's, I, I don't think that's really Jones's fault. I think that was not a great throw. But from then, I didn't think the run was very good. I think that he could have taken off and gotten up to full speed a little quicker. And then toward the end of his run, he, for a reason that I don't know, started running into the middle of the field toward the defender who was trying to tackle him. I I think that that, I think that that catch could have gone all the way for a touchdown and, and looked like it was going to, and, and and then the end of his run was just bizarre to me that he ran toward the defender and then realized what he was doing and had to turn and run back away from the defender, had clearly lost a lot of speed at that point and ends up getting tackled. And if he had instead hugged the sideline more, I think there's uh, I think it would have been very hard to prevent him from getting into the end zone. As it was, he was tackled inside the 20. Right. Uh, I think it was like around like the the 13 yard line, which then shockingly did not did not end up in a touchdown after that. Well, I think just, part of it was he was worried about the clock and he had he it, knew if he yeah. didn't make the end zone on that play, he needed to get down in time to give the Packers a chance to kick the field goal. So yeah, I but, think that was part of the so, concern. So why that, not run out of bounds? Why not run out of bounds then? Well, instead of running toward the middle of the field, I just thought that it was a, you know, there's, there's heads up plays and this is the opposite of that. It was a, not a very aware situationally aware uh, play. Well, you know, that, that is uh, very possible. I, I, I think his intent was to make sure there was enough time to kick a field goal if he didn't make it. And I don't think he thought he was going to be able to make it. But your point is well taken. I think it's a, it's a solid one. Um, you know, so what is your grade for the running backs at the uh, game's end? Yeah, I actually went with a C plus. I felt like their running for most of the day was kind of subpar mm-hmm. uh, based on their usual performance. It, um, uh, it, they, they were not consistently getting enough yards they were averaging between the two guys three and a half yards per attempt but that also factors in jones's long run um well the long one was like 13 yards right or i um yeah uh 13 or 17 somewhere around there yeah wasn't Um, a particularly long run you know to begin with i'm i'm looking at the uh yeah the long run was 14 A.J. Dillon had 25 yards on seven attempts. Mm-hmm. Aaron Jones was a little more productive at 41 yards on 12 attempts. 12. It, it was I, – I felt like there were several times when Dillon was out there where there were additional yards to be had, and it felt like he went down a little earlier than he usually does. I was – occasionally I was surprised that they managed to tackle him in, in situations where the rest of the year he's kept going. And, um, 
pass blocking, uh, Aaron Jones did a pretty good job. I saw him on, on a couple of pass blocking plays. I thought he did a, a, a stand-up job. Yeah. Overall, I, I just felt like this was a game where the running backs really needed to show up, especially with the fact that the passing game was not working. And it felt like there were way too many times where the run just did not get enough to put them in a manageable yardage situation where they had the option to either run or pass on the next down. And they were forced to go ahead and throw it and often ended in a a three and out in that situation. So in total, I was a little bit uh, disappointed. Uh, AJ Dillon did run a couple of routes. I didn't think that he ran them particularly well. Wasn't targeted Uh, at all. Nope. Was not. Uh, but you know, neither was basically anybody else. And, and, um, I also lumped in Equinemius here as well, since he had that jet sweep. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was pretty terrible. Um, the, my largest criticism of it was that he ran so far back. I think if he had hugged the line of scrimmage more, uh, he might've picked up a few more. Yeah. I think he got one yard off of it. And if he had, uh, ran maybe two yards behind the line of scrimmage instead of seven or eight. I think, you know, when he turns on the jets, number one, I think he beats the defender who tackled him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and number two, uh, I, I just think he gets a lot further downfield, um, you know, on, on the, the run that he eventually took at the end of it. I, I just felt like it, it was a, a pretty subpar jet sweep. And this is coming from a team that had, does not, do jet sweeps very well. <laughs> I'll just say that. Yeah, no, we don't. We should. You think it would be a part of the offense, but it it, it hasn't worked out particularly well. And and then the the last guy was um Patrick Taylor, and I thought that he was decent. I think I think yeah. that he did about as well as you could have hoped from Patrick Taylor. So, uh, wide receivers, I was not as generous. I gave them a C. Um, I would have dinged them a little bit more, except that clearly the the receivers for the Niners were also struggling from the icy field. Yeah. You, you saw guys slipping and falling all day long for both teams. So I don't like giving guys a pass very much, but I'm extending a little bit of grace to the Green Bay receivers. And there were plenty of times where guys did get open and were not targeted. And I don't put that on the receiver. I put it on the passer. Yeah, I put that on the passer too. I I gave them a C minus. Just, I mean, Tay put up a a, a decent game, but not a great game for Tay. You know, nine catches for 90 yards. Again, yes, the condition certainly had something to do with it. But, you know, I wrote a, a piece for Cheesehead TV that came out was published the day of the game, you know, noon on Saturday that said that Randall Cobb and Alan Lazard should play pretty big roles in this game because, you know, you knew San Francisco's defense was going to focus on taking away Devontae Adams or limiting Devontae Adams. And like you said, I think it was more on the quarterback than it was on those two receivers as to why they were not more of a part of the offensive game plan. And, you know, to me, when I wrote that article, they should have 
I, I think what happened in the game sort of bore that out. I think one of the frustrations I have from this year overall, if you're looking at just the theme of the whole season, Randall Cobb, I don't think ended up playing a very significant role for the Packers. He had one really good game against the Steelers. He had another pretty good game against the Rams in week 12. Outside of that. And the Cardinals game. Uh, I think that he, he had two touchdowns was, in that game, nice, if I'm not mistaken. It was nice to have him. And the two touchdowns, I, I'm not sure we get those two touchdowns without him. So, sure. I'll, I'll Yeah, it, it was nice to have him for that game since we were missing Devontae. And the guard and MVS. <laughs> in that situation, you better get two touchdowns. Yeah. You're basically the only receiver out there. Um, the the way Rodgers talked about him in the offseason and how, oh, if we, you know, the real reason that, that we lost that uh, NFC Championship game was because I didn't have Randall Cobb. If I'd had him in there, we would have punched it in at the end, uh, you know, down uh, at the goal line at the end of the game. Cobb really did not end up being a big contributor for the majority of the year. And he did not grade out particularly well as receiver. Um, There were a a few times early on in the season where I think he was a bit of a hindrance. I I don't really like saying that, but you recall the time when uh, Cobb got in the way and broke up a pass to Devonte, mm-hmm. and then in the playoff loss to the Niners, he was targeted one time, had zero receptions, and I, I just when you look at how much he got paid and the fact that we gave up draft capital to go get him, I, I, I just you look at uh, general manager Rogers' track record; it's not looking great. I like him as a quarterback, not so much as a general manager. I think that. You saw before the season how frustrated Gutekunst visibly was when he was talking about, you know, basically having his arm twisted to go get Randall Cobb and how he's like, well, you know, the guy's only here because of Aaron. Because he didn't think it was a good idea. And I think that looking at how the season played out, it's hard to argue. You know, the Brian Gutekunst as a GM has a better track record than Aaron Rodgers as a GM. Yeah, well, look, here's where I feel, what I feel about Cobb. If Cobb wasn't there, then you're talking about either Amari Rodgers or Juwan Winfrey probably filling that role. Do I think game? that Randall Cobb did a better job than either of those two players would have as the fourth receiver? Yes, I do. Do I think it, it would have been nice to get Amari some more snaps this year and let him develop? I don't know if he's ready based on what I saw from him, although he did do a decent job on returns in the playoff game. But over yeah, the course did. of the Actually, year, the last, the last couple of games where he was the returner, I thought he did. A, he a did better. Game. But yeah, uh, the, the, the problem is the lack of trust, the lack of trust from Rogers, uh, from from Aaron Rodgers. It's so hard to get into his good graces as a receiver, and I just don't think that it would have happened for Amari Rodgers as a rookie. But was Randall Cobb worth the amount of money that the Packers paid him? Uh, 
and yes, Houston did pay part of his cap hit, but you know, right now, Randall Cobb for a fourth receiver over the course of the season, you know, he missed a bunch of games because he always gets hurt a little bit uh, during the course of most of his uh, years. Yeah, I, I mean, he Here, was okay. here's, here's my issue with what you're here's my issue, issue with what you're saying. He was not brought in to be the fourth receiver. He was brought in to be wide receiver two. No, and I don't think he was. I, I don't think he was. I think MVS was going to be two, and then either Cobb or Lazard was going to be three. Nobody stayed healthy, but uh, I, I think the way that the Packers front office went about it, they brought in Cobb predominantly to to satisfy Rodgers and to placate Rodgers, but I don't think he was really part of the team's you know, focus Overall, but we're getting away from the game here, so we should probably you're right. You're right. focus more on the game. We'll talk about the wide receivers over the course of the season later on in the offseason. All right, uh, tight ends. This one, I could not, I could not go any higher than a D. This was a horrific game from the tight ends. By far, by a mile, the best tight end in this game was Dominique Daphne which is never what you want to see. Mercedes Lewis, I think, had the worst PFF grade of anyone on the entire team. Um, maybe Tyler Lancaster graded out worse on specifically special teams, uh, but not on defense. Uh, but on offense and defense, Mercedes was the lowest graded player. Uh, he had an 18 fumbling grade. 18 out of 100. <laughs> Uh, which feels pretty deserved when you look at that was one of the worst fumbles that I've seen in a long time. And it, it's, it's, you know, you love Mercedes and it's always, it has been fun all year watching him when he is brought in on a receiving play, but there has all year, there has been sort of this panic in the back of your head, watching the way he holds the football like a loaf of bread. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, not a ton to say about the tight ends here uh, from me. Um, I, 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 I will say, I don't think that the tight end group that we have this year is the tight end group we're going to have next year. I'll, I'll say that. I, I agree with you on that. And look between the three tight ends who played in this game, you had one catch on four targets for zero yards and the lost fumble. The blocking wasn't anything spectacular either. I agree with you. D, maybe it may be a D plus if I'm feeling generous. So, you know, uh, tight ends, not a big part of the game. So we're not going to spend a lot of time on them. No. Kind of an afterthought. Uh, Offensive line, we kind of already talked about. So just give me your letter grades and we can probably move on because we already talked about C. I split mine up into interior and tackles. And I guess it kind of averages out of the C because I gave the interior a B and the tackles an F. Although maybe I should be a little bit more generous since Dennis Kelly did an outstanding job of run blocking. Maybe I should bump them up to a D minus. But as as pass blockers, I thought they were. Utterly unacceptable. Yep, didn't get the job done, no question about that. Five sacks allowed, a lot of pressures, a lot of knockdowns. I don't think the run blocking was particularly outstanding. Uh, yeah. Uh, Nick Bosa might as well have lined up offsides. Yeah, he didn't have to. Game. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> All right, 
Uh, flip it over to defense. Yeah, miss any offensive players? Defense. Uh, cornerbacks. I gave them a B. I thought they were pretty good, but I thought that uh, a lot of the misses were caused by the pass rush. Uh, I think that I think that their the coverage could have been a little bit better, but they only gave up six points on the day, and most of the damage came on the ground. So uh, I can't give them worse than a B. What about you? I go B plus. Uh, I think it was solid. Um, okay. No big plays via the air. You, 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 the total net passing yards is 106 for the game. It's hard to to knock them too much. For the safeties, this was. Uh, I was a little bit torn on how to grade the safeties, um, partly because I I just didn't see Darnell much out there. Uh, I know he got hurt, but right. before he got hurt, I didn't see him much. Felt like Adrian Amos uh, tackled really well, but I didn't think that the rest of his play was that great. You know, well, he had the interception. Kidding. Yeah, he did. Yep. Uh, I didn't forget about that. Uh, Kevin King actually lined up as a safety at one point. I thought that was interesting. Um, thought he did decently well when he was doing it. Um, overall, I gave the safeties a B plus, but it's like a little bit of a wishy washy B plus. Yeah, I'd either go B B plus, sort of on that borderline. I'll go B plus only because the overall numbers for the defense were so solid. Inside linebackers got an A plus from me. I thought they were pretty fantastic. Devondre Campbell and Chris Barnes were just lighting it up. It was really fun to watch. Uh, and it felt like it felt like uh, if you were feeling like Nick Bosa was constantly in the backfield with the running backs trying to hit Aaron Rodgers, it felt like one of either of our inside linebackers was kind of living in the Niners backfield as well. Just like messing up all their run plays. Um, I I didn't feel like they were super involved in the passing game necessarily, but the uh, run block uh, run defense, the linebackers were, I thought a massive part of why the game was uh, going the way it did for the Niners all day. Yeah, no, I, I give the inside linebackers a solid a absolutely. Pass rushers got an A plus from me. My only thing that I would want to clean up a little bit is I didn't think that af- after his sack, I didn't think Zedarius played very well. Mm-hmm. And and it just felt in general like the pass rushers got tired by halftime and they just weren't as active as as they were in the first half uh, after halftime. But I, I still gave them an A plus. Just, you know, a little teacher's note next to the A+. <laughs> I think Rashawn Gary was outstanding. I mean, you look at the numbers, uh, four tackles, three tackles for loss, two sacks, three quarterback hits. Uh, you know, just just did his job and then some. Preston Smith uh, w- led the team with nine tackles total, six of them solo. Uh, he had one quarterback hit as well. Uh, uh, no, I'm sorry. That was Darius with the one quarterback hit, but o- overall, I, I think the edge rushers and the outside linebackers more than did their job. I, I give them a solid a. Yeah. Rashawn, Rashawn was just phenomenal. And 
we hyped him up last week, talked about how good he was looking. And, and this was, I think, probably his best game of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you said, he had six pressures uh, that turned into two sacks, two hits and two hurries. You love to see that. And then uh, that was on just 18 pass rush attempts. So a third of the time he was getting home. Um, and our little shorthand is if you are at 10% pressure rate, you are competent. He was at 30%. Yeah. Just phenomenal. So, um, all right. Defensive tackle. I also handed out my third straight a plus. What about you? Uh, I would go a, as opposed to a plus, but you know, look, uh, Kenny Clark had a, a very strong game again. Uh, two quarterback hits, one tackle for loss, six total tackles. He, at times, seemed like he was living in the 49ers' backfield, and I, I, I yeah. liked the job he did. Uh, you know, and then, look, Dean Lowry and Tyler Lancaster did, TJ Slayton, they they did their job when they were out there. Uh, yeah. You know, look, I, I, I did notice that when, when it was those three guys who were out there that – the run game was working a lot better. It was noticeably yep. better than, than um, Kenny Clark and uh, Dean Lauer. I thought, I thought played decently well. Uh, Tyler Lancaster, I was kind of disappointed with. And then T- uh, TJ Slayton had uh, that phenomenal uh, hit. I, I can't remember if it was on fourth down. No, it wasn't. That was Gary really had the big down. stop on fourth down. Yeah. But not long before that, I think TJ got, um, just busted through and like sat on the running back. Yep. And he did not move an inch after TJ got his, his hand on him. I mean, it was the second he touched him. That was the end of the run. He wasn't going anywhere. That was fun to watch. The rest That's of the day, exactly I, I what you like want from the kid. And, and to see him do that at the end of his rookie season was very encouraging. All right. Finally, we got to look at special teams and uh, I had us break this down. Yes, you did which I think is more than fair because I gave an Amari Rogers a, an a minus for returns. There were two returns that I thought weren't great. Um, and the rest of the day, I thought it was, uh, outstanding, especially compared to what we've seen from this unit, the whole rest of the year and him in particular, uh, multiple times when he brought it out past the 30 yard line. So I, those those two plays where he didn't get very far did have me uh, drop down to an A minus. But uh, overall, I was uh, definitely satisfied with the job he did returning. I give him a solid B. I mean, you look at the numbers, three kick returns for 22 yards. That's maybe slightly it's average to slightly above average two punt returns for 11 yards. But to me, the more important thing, he was decisive. He held on to the ball. Mm-hmm. He ran. Uh, north-south as opposed to east-west most of the time. Yep. All the things he did wrong for so much of the regular season did not factor into his performance in this game. I give him a solid B. Uh, punting, I gave Corey Bohorquez a C. Um, I've been a little bit disappointed with him for a couple of months now, but uh, not his best game. Um, he had at least one really bad shanked punt. And then you could debate how much he was to blame for the blocked punt at the end. Uh, I, I I think he probably could have been a little bit more heads up and either gotten the ball off a little bit quicker 
or else decided to hold on to it and just do anything other than let it go into the end zone. Um, so I did ding him a little bit and then kicking. I gave Mason Crosby a B. Uh, I, I don't think that that blocked kick was at all Crosby's fault. It was clearly all Tyler Lancaster on that. Uh, but I thought that, uh, you know, the, the rest of the day, his kicking was okay. It was good. Not great. I would give, look, the, to me, the block punt, maybe Bo Horquez was not the primary, you know, person to blame on that. But between the block and the shank that you mentioned, uh, I, I can't go higher than a C on, on Bo Horquez. And then for Mason Crosby, maybe a B minus on okay. uh, on his day, the one extra point, the, the block field goal, you, you got to make a 39-yard field goal. And yeah, okay, it wasn't fully his fault. Yes, Tyler Lancaster blew the blocking scheme, but oh man, you know, I, I'll even go this far. They make that field goal before the end of the half, they win the football game. Oh, yes, clearly. Uh, for blocking, kicking and punting blocking, <laughs> I gave it an F grade, and that is F for fireable. Yeah, I can't argue with that there is no way that after three preseason games and 17 regular season games and an extra week of practice uh because you got the bye that these kind of special teams breakdowns should still be happening fireable is i, I hate to call for anybody's job but and i like mo drayton at least the way he comes across as a person Oh, but, we've been calling for his job for multiple weeks. But yeah, no, this, day. this, and then to only have 10 guys out there on the game winning field goal. Oh, uh, yeah. F got to be an F. Now, are, would they have blocked it? No, we, we know they would not. It's have not a question it. of that. Just, it was just salt in the wound at the end of a humiliating special teams performance all day and all year. And when you already know, that special teams is what has cost you the game to then just a minute later hear people saying, you know, they only had 10 guys on the field. Yeah. It was just like, Oh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's just funny at this point. It's not even tragic. It's just, it's just funny. Let's just laugh at ourselves because we're a joke. That's just, that's how it felt at the time. The, the last uh, category that we have here is uh, kicking and punting coverage. And I, I struggle with how to grade this one because I kind of wanted to give them like a B plus because I felt like a, a lot of the day it was, uh, it was decent, you know, but when Debo was out there, it, I was struggling with how to decide, like, do I ding our guys for struggling to stop Debo when he's such an electric player? Or is the standard still the standard that like it doesn't matter who's who is returning these balls, you still have to get them down. So ultimately, I think I'm going to give them a C plus, but you know I, I have some compa some compassion in there as well uh, with that C plus grade, and it's like you know it's a C plus is B minus right around there. I I go with C uh, because. Look, there were three kick returns in this game. One was 32 yards. One, the Samuel one was 45. 
the longer that, of the two. That was the painful one, yeah. So to me, that that's not acceptable. The three punt returns by Travis Benjamin average, you know, long one was nine. They averaged 7.3. That's solid. But in a game that is as low scoring as this one was, field position matters. And yeah. the field position tilted in favor of the 49ers for most of the game, in part because of these kick returns that the team gave up. All in all, um, a very disappointing, just let down performance here by the Packers. But, you know, uh, to me, even like immediately as the game ended, I still had a lot of appreciation for how good this season was. It was really enjoyable. I think we came into the season with kind of low expectations. You know, you had that crazy off season. You didn't think Rogers was going to be back. Um, you thought that uh, we were probably looking at like maybe a rebuilding year only. They had not made any uh, salary cap moves <laughs> that would allow you to re to take advantage of, you know, what would be a rebuilding year. And then we had, you know, that week one embarrassment against the saints. I think that expectations were just so low for me early on in the season that it, it was just wholly enjoyable from weeks two through uh, you know, 19, um, you know, right, right up until this playoff game, it was just such an enjoyable season. And I just, I savored the whole thing and didn't take it for granted. It felt like a, to me, it felt like 2020 was like the year. And then this year was an unexpected bonus year. And I, I just, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed when the offense was just on fire for all those weeks at the end of the year, we had the defense looking just stellar in the middle of the season, brought in these new faces, Rasul Douglas, Devondre Campbell, guys we're going to be talking about all off season here, um, especially over the next couple of weeks as we're figuring out who's going to be back and who's not going to be back. I just have so many special memories from this season and disappointing that it ended this way, but to me it doesn't, you know, sully the season um, that we had leading up to it. Well, it, it does sully it a bit for me in that they should not have lost this football game. And, oh, not at all. you know, good teams get into the playoffs. Great teams win big games. And unfortunately, right now, on, after three seasons of Matt LaFleur, the Packers are a good team, but they are not a great team. And great teams, you know, Vince Lombardi was 9-1 and one in the postseason as coach of the Green Bay Packers. Uh, obviously, it's a different era. It would be very hard to replicate that under any circumstances. But, you know, it's not just the fact that the Packers have fallen short in the playoffs three years in a row, two of those losses being at home. It's the fact that they lose badly in games where they just clearly don't play well. If the Packers would have lost the way the Bills lost, I could say, okay, they left everything out there on the field. They played a heck of a game, but okay, the other team was better. You take your hat off to them, et cetera. But against San Francisco in 2019, the Packers were just humiliated, played their worst game of the year possibly. Against Tampa Bay, they came up small in a big situation, outcoached, outplayed. 
And then here against San Francisco, uh, a team that they are better than on paper, you're at home. They failed to make adjustments. They failed to execute uh, the game plan they should have had. And that hurts. It, it, it just, it, to me, it, it doesn't take away from the accomplishments of the season in that, yes, they were still had a very successful season. But it knocks them down a tier as far as how I look at this team because they don't come up big when they need to come up big. I, I certainly understand your sentiment, and I imagine that probably a large uh, group of our audience uh, feels the same way you do. I do disagree with the idea that the Packers are not a great team. I think they clearly are a great team. They have dominated not only their division the last three years, but the NFC. Um, you look at uh, the fact that they swept the NFC West, wildly considered to be the strongest division in football this year. They won the most regular season games in three years of any team in NFL history, uh, going uh, with, with 39 wins. Um, just an incredible accomplishment. It's disappointing that they have had these flat games in the playoffs. Uh, three years in a row. Uh, no question that uh, that all three of those of those losses were incredibly embarrassing. But I do think that they are clearly a great team and and one of the best teams in in the NFL. Um, and, and over the last three years, I think you would be hard pressed to make an argument that any other team in the entire league has been better than them over that three year stretch. Uh, you know, you look at the Buccaneers in 2019 were a joke. Um, so I, I, I think, I think the, the closest you could maybe say would be like uh, probably the chiefs you would say probably were a, a better team over those three years with what the two Super Bowl um, appearances in that time span um, already. And then maybe a third this year, we'll see. Um but uh, uh, no question in my mind that they are, uh, have been the second best team in the NFL in the, in the last three years. I don't but, but I, I, I also understand where you're coming from, and, and there's certainly an emotional uh, factor to this as well. Look, look, I agree with you. They've been one of the best teams in the league over the last three years. But, you know, when it's most important to prove that, they've come up small in big games, and, and that yeah, is a concern. True. To see them get out coached and outplayed when it matters most consistently right now. You know, one year is bad, two years is uh oh, oh, three years is a trend. And it's not just losing, it's the way they've lost that sort of uh has me concerned at this point. And and to me, look, I still believe in Matt LaFleur. I believe he can grow into a better big game coach. But I'm starting to have more doubts about Aaron Rodgers' ability to come through in big games, but that's a topic for uh, the offseason and, and another podcast, most likely. Well, I think that's, uh, you know, that does it for us. Uh, we'll be, uh, you know, take a couple months off from the podcast, come back in May. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We're going to be here every week. What are you, what are you talking about? Exactly. Uh, so, listen, we, we want to hear from you guys. Remember, you can reach out to us on Twitter at JJ Leahy, if you want to talk to Gil, I don't know what you'd want to, at Gil Martin. Uh, email asknohuddle at gmail.com. We also have a text line. You could just shoot a text to 231 714 4195. 
we have um about 1500 uh weekly listeners uh in the off season is closer to eight nine hundred weekly listeners and you know you hear from about one percent of your listeners um on any podcast and we'd like to hear from more of you guys uh here as we're trying to put together our plan for what the off season is going to look like what our, what our coverage is going to be uh you know last year we had our series where we went through and and did like a uh year in review and went back and relived uh, all the games for the 2020 season. We're, we're putting together a plan for what we want to do this year. I think next week, uh, what I really would like to do, unless there's some major breaking news that takes precedence, I'd like to go through like an off season prep where we'll talk, we'll, we'll talk about how contracts work, uh, bonuses and dead cap and void years and all these things just give you a good refresher because at this time of year, just about all of us are really rusty on it and talk through some of the contract situations here. Uh, what needs to be moved around? Uh, you know, what, what, what is a restructure or who can we restructure? How much could you free up by all, you know, a max restructure and all that kind of stuff. We'll go through that. Uh, Aaron Rogers said uh, this week, actually today, cause we are recording this Tuesday night. Roger said that he is going to uh, make his decision and let the team know what he's going to do uh, by late February. So um, a month. Yeah. Uh, three, three, four weeks from now, we're going to have our answer about what they're going to do with Rogers, which is great because that'll allow them to make their moves with Devante and other guys and figure out what the next season is going to look like. And we are going to be here with you all the way. So please, if you listen to the show, if you like this show, just take 30 seconds and shoot us a message, uh, any of those spots, and uh, let us know what you're interested in hearing about. Because, um, uh, and especially if you listened to us last off season, and you're like, "Hey, uh, I like this thing that you did. I didn't like this thing that you did." Let us know because we we don't want to waste our time put together content that you don't want to hear. So, um, reach out, let us know. Um, and man, I, I didn't want to have to bring this up. But our 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 score prediction game for the season, I finished a measly four points behind Gil on the entire season. I just was right there and I finished four points behind Gil. So I think we're going to have to do a major overhaul of the rules next year so that I can win. <laughs> Actually, joking aside, uh, Gil and I have been talking and we do think there are a couple of flaws with our rules that we came up with because there were times this year where one or the other of us would guess would correctly guess the winner of the game. And then the guy who got the winner incorrect still placed better points wise. Um, so we, we got, we got to go back to the drawing board and figure out what's a, a smarter way to grade this, but congratulations, Gil. Uh, you get to carry that crown hey, into the off season. It, it was close. It was a fun little contest and it was great all season. So thanks for doing it. And uh, super fun next year. You'll try to get your revenge. What could I say? <laughs> yeah. Uh, this will be the last dance for me for, for the points <laughs> game. All righty. Well, uh, everybody, thanks for sticking with us. This concludes our coverage of the Packers 2021 season. We'll be right back here next week to begin uh, really uh, the beginning of season three, I guess, of the uh, No Huddle podcast. We're going to 
begin our coverage of the 2022 Packers and what they look like. Uh, but for now, that's it for us today. Uh, follow us on Twitter again. That's at Gil Packers, at JJ Leahy to stay up to date on all things Packers or to ask us questions. There's going to be a lot of breaking news over the next couple of weeks. So you're going to want to tune in to um, our timely uh, news updates there. You can also email us at asknohuddle at gmail.com. Shoot us a text at 231-714-4195. Make sure you're subscribed to Packers Talk on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Big thanks to PackersTalk.com for powering our show. And thank you for listening. Until next time, go Pack Go. Go Pack Go. You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. Packers Talk. Packers.